Down-to-earth is a choice to be free from seeking attention or greed. Be the gift that keeps good company, grows abundantly, and gives love to those in need. Chapter 26. Humility is a gift best shared. Humble people are rare these days, so they're a precious gift when you encounter them. These noteworthy individuals promote humility beyond achievements and advocate the need for human equality regardless of status, background, or creed. Rather than constantly drawing attention to themselves, they celebrate their wins privately and tend to deflect public praise. They're living examples that humility is a gift best shared with others, and we can all allocate our talents without the fear of judgment. We all entered this world as a blank slate at the core of our existence. When we were babies, we needed someone to take care of us. Walking tall was the least of our concerns, and having fun was our number one priority. We did not need to impress others. All we needed was love. We started from humble beginnings, without accolades measured by popular opinion, and we were free to be who we wanted to be. Deep within our inner self, we are equals with the exact needs for love and generosity. To achieve greatness and remain humble unconditionally is an attractive quality. It's a blessing, proving that distinction does not require excessive pride. It's easy to flex one's achievements in life, but suppressing pride to give space for growth is admirable. Accomplished individuals understand that goals represent checkpoints in life and that the game is not over. They realize that humility drives progress forward, and by removing the ego, the path to greatness is limitless. Humanity shines brighter through humility, especially after the celebration ends. Choose to prioritize gratitude and modesty beyond fanfare and excitement. Live humble, practice kindness, and appreciate what others can provide. How's it, everyone? My name is Mike Kabuko, and welcome to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast, your creative space for amplifying greatness through gratitude. As of this podcast recording, it is April 23rd, 2023, and I've just wrapped up week three of my 12-week cut. I'm currently still in compliance with my caloric intake set at 1936 calories, and my protein, carb, and fat spread is averaging around 31%, 42%, and 27% respectively. And how am I feeling, you may ask? Oh yeah, I'm feeling amazing. I'm feeling amazingly tired. (laughs) My third week of cutting calories hasn't been the easiest to do, mentally. But I've got no room to complain because I've still got nine more weeks to go. Yep, it's a struggle. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, dude, you just need to step it up. You just need to power through. You know, get the work done. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, Mr. Motivation Mike, I hear ya. You don't have to rub it in my face. I get it. But some days I feel a little bit hangry. And I'm starting to get progressively grumpy. But the more I think about complaining and whining, the more I realize the post-it note taped to my forehead that says, hashtag first world problems. (laughs) 
I mean, imagine having this conversation with someone unfamiliar with the topic of body recomposition and trying to plead your case that it's just another normal part of life. Like, there's totally nothing weird about planning your meals ahead of time to ensure you hit your nutrition numbers and bringing a portable scale everywhere you go just in case you want to practice some quote-unquote flexible dieting. Yeah. I'm starting to realize that my method and relationship to food is kind of getting a bit borderline eating disorder in some shape or form. I mean, two weeks ago, I joined my buddies for a going away luncheon and didn't partake in the delicious barbecue spread because it didn't fit my macros. I just sat there feeling kind of out of place while everyone else dug into some tasty barbecue and side dishes that would have pushed me through my max cutting calories for the day. Well, was that weird for not being quote-unquote normal? Well, seemed pretty normal to me. However, for the majority of people, when you deviate from the status quo, you tend to be viewed as the black sheep and you're either celebrated because you have the so-called willpower slash discipline or crucified because you supposedly need to live a little. Live a little. Ha! That's a good one. But I've never felt more alive ever since I've embraced this lifestyle of fitness. It's such a huge part of my life and my identity. And even though it took a ton of work to get to where I'm at, I'm pretty thankful for the struggle. But that's the strange part about big goals and choosing a path that's extraordinary. By definition, extraordinary is all about rising above the ordinary life. And it's not meant to fit the world's standard operating procedures. Big goals, big dreams, often lead to doing things that others aren't willing to do. It rewards those that are willing to chase excellence and live for greatness. It advocates a highly specialized group of people that have the extreme discipline and motivation to keep pushing forward, regardless of whatever obstacle is in their way. Yet it's a dangerous mindset, the idea that one would be willing to sacrifice everything just to achieve their greatest ambitions and achievements. It's preposterous, and it often creates an image of perfection that alienates anyone that doesn't conform to a life of greatness. Let's face it, it's a wee bit of an unhealthy situation. And just when you think you've escaped the business of motivation, it is ever-present in modern society. Aim high, fly, fight, win. Whatever it takes. We quell the storm and ride the thunder. Be all you can be. Better to die than to be a coward. That's just a sample of military slogans that I was exposed to as a military brat. It was a series of expressions used to unite the front and promote a call to service. It was designed to motivate people to join the cause, and inevitably, those same phrases, slightly revised, would find themselves in the culture of sports. Teamwork makes the dream work. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Winners in life don't always win. They don't give up. We are constantly exposed to the idea that happiness and success is granted to the best of the best. By nature, we live in a very competitive world, and it's truly a survival of the fittest. And if we're not doing anything grand or expansive, we either get labeled as complacent or lazy. 
Yet I find that so damaging to the individuals that just want to make the most of what they got and live to see another day. I understand the sacrifice that is required to achieve higher potential. I practice it every single day, and some days I assure you it feels like I'm bleeding for my goals. But just because I can deal with the intensity doesn't mean anyone else has to follow the same path. I'm on my own path because it was meant for me. It was designed for me, and I'm willing to see it through. However, I believe that everyone can find their own version of personal happiness and fulfillment without going ham or taking life to the extreme if they choose to do so. It's kind of like the concept of progressive overload in fitness. We don't just become optimized human beings from the get-go, no. We start as a blank template. You know, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger that said something to the effect that our bodies are like a block of clay, and through time and experience we can play the role of the artist and mold ourselves into greatness. That's progressive overload. You start with what you can handle, you go through the experience and learn, and you repeat the process. And the next time around, you increase the level of difficulty. Eventually, those experiences compound on top of one another, and you emerge with valuable habits that are firmly established, aka discipline. I've subjected myself to many iterations of trial and error, and have experienced the necessary lessons to live the life that I have lived. However, that wasn't always the case. I mean, if we go back 10 years ago, y'all know my story. I was part-time to full-time obese, unfit, and had minimal education of nutrition and training. And my relationship with food was detrimental to my health. I used dirty food as a tool to cure stress when I should have been prioritizing proper sleep, nutrition, and exercise. I was at ground zero and it took me years to stumble upon what worked best for me. I mean, imagine the years of torment I placed on my body, my joints, and my overall health and well-being before I even got the chance to be where I'm at. And if only I had someone to tell me that, that, hey, you'll get to where you're going as long as you don't rush the process, then I probably could have expedited the lessons that I needed to learn in the first place. Which brings me back to this conversation of amplifying greatness through gratitude. I can't assume that everyone that listens to this podcast is some hyperhuman looking to maximize or optimize the last 10% of their lifestyle. Love Notes for Life is meant for the masses that are willing to acknowledge that there is room for improvement scaled to one's environment. I know in the past few episodes I may have projected this idea that you need to be in full compliance and have a relentless desire for discipline to be successful. But that's only half the equation, because life throws in way more unexpected variables that sometimes we just can't possibly account for. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Matthew chapter 19 verse 30 You got to love the puzzles of the Bible. This verse popped up in my head when I was working on today's episode. It's a verse that can be interpreted in many ways, but I've always viewed it as a reminder of humility. Whenever I hear it, it reminds me that no matter how rich we are with knowledge, experience, and the accolades of the material world, we can always treat people with kindness. We can always choose to stay humble, be grounded, and find a way to connect with people from different backgrounds. I never viewed it as a negative knock against those who are wealthy of the rewards of life. 
but as a reminder of the responsibility that we all share to make this world a much better place. No matter how big or small the contribution, I think we can shape someone else's life who is seeking help. I also believe that the verse reminds us of the responsibility we have to stay humble and admit when we do not know what we know. It's not a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of maturity and acceptance that we are all still growing up and learning through the wilderness of life. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Is the recursive loop that similarly aligns with a saying that Bruce Lee once said, Empty your cup so that it may be filled. Become devoid to gain totality. In other words, we should encourage ourselves from time to time to free ourselves from the rigidity of life and allow for some practical flexibility. It's easier to understand the world around us when we start to acknowledge that everyone arrives into our lives from different walks of life. And it really doesn't help if we put up these language barriers or jargon that only serves the elites and reduces the accessibility of knowledge. Humility is about sharing the table with everyone and exchanging gifts to one another. And I admit, in the past, I've made mistakes. Rather than offering advice that could have been utilized by everyone, I defaulted into serving those that were already in my place and those that were willing to give up everything to gain everything. My intention was never to only focus on high performers, but also provide useful information towards people who just want to have a decent life and at minimum have a decent understanding about the world around them. I acknowledge that we all experience varying degrees of tension, and the purpose of Love Notes for Life is dedicated to those individuals who just want to do better with what they got. Now, I'd like to revisit the topic of nutrition, obesity, and the role of fitness, especially here in the United States. I really don't know when the obesity epidemic began, but before I even was aware of the term, I was already living the lifestyle. As a kid, I was raised by the best grandparents that anyone could ask for. So they grew up in the Philippines, survived World War II, and spent a majority of their lives living in a third world country, which wasn't the easiest cards to deal with. They grew up with a different perspective on food. To them, food was comfort, food was substance, and food was scarce. So when they moved to the United States to help raise me while my parents were pursuing their full-time jobs, they also taught me how to love food for all the, let's just say, less than ideal reasons. Feeding me was like a game to my grandma. She loved cooking, and I remember she would make every effort that I was quote-unquote full by supplying me with whatever dish I wanted. And at an early age, I ended up developing a really bad relationship with food. I had zero control. I was on a seafood diet, 24-7, where whatever food I saw, I immediately reached forward with my hands extended outward and consumed. And as the years progressed, I became so chubby. And of course, that brought out the best bullies. So what do you do when you're so young and you don't have the experience to deal with the issues? Well, easy. You just eat your feelings out. I mean, bring it on in. Ice cream, 
chips. Oh, and don't forget about the microwavable snacks like pizza rolls and dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. I mean, I was seriously an overfed kid, and I really believed that my unhealthy lifestyle was due to my bad genetics back then. I fell into the belief that I had the quote-unquote fat genes, and I was destined to be fat forever. And as much as I loved my grandma, I used to blame her for my unhealthy eating habits. But the truth was, it wasn't her fault. It had nothing to do with her relationship with food. I was raised as a proper American child. The United States is the best environment for anyone to become obese. We're surrounded by palatable food every single day. There are fast food restaurants planted strategically along every busy intersection, and it doesn't stop there. Head to the grocery store, and the snacks and fun foods are lined up at eye level for convenience. And don't worry about the cost, because the fun foods were typically cheaper than the so-called healthy choices. But can you blame America? I mean, we're built to be competitive, and we've made convenience a competition. We also had to secure first place at feeding our nation with SAD, S-A-D, the Standard American Diet. And what does that look like? Well, it's actually really amazing. Blueberry muffins, pound cakes, bagels, cupcakes, ribeye steak, brisket tacos, burgers, fries, milkshakes, corn dogs, deep fried dessert, and the list goes on and on and on. And we've normalized the standard American diet. Watching a movie? Why not treat yourself to popcorn submerged in butter? On the road and feeling hungry? No problem, buddy. Just take the next exit and enjoy the wide variety of food options at the Food Oasis, aka rest stops. And want to host a pop-up luncheon at work to reward your team members for a job well done? Well, point me to the closest pizza spot and we'll order four of everything. Being American is amazing, isn't it? And I'm not saying that condescendingly. We have so much freedom to consume whatever we want to, when we want to. And I think, in moderation, it's actually a positive. However, it begs the question, can we really solve the obesity epidemic, especially when being a foodie is one of the most American things you can be? I think so. And I think it really starts with education awareness and the flexibility to let old ideas slide out of the way to be replaced by new ones. So here's my take. Here are my top 10 suggestions for how we can course correct as a nation to improve our relationship with food and promote a love for health, wellness, and fitness. Number one, nutrition before training. Cutting calories is hard but it's even harder to outwork your nutrition through training. Think of it this way. Training is like the gas pedal in a car, and nutrition is fuel. No gas, no go. And the same applies to cutting weight. You need just the right amount of fuel combined with exerted effort to keep progress moving forward. Number two, have a reasonable understanding of macronutrients and tracking calories. As a refresher, our macros consist of protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Protein acts as the building blocks, and carbohydrates and fat can be utilized for energy. 
As a general rule of thumb, we should shoot for 1 to 2 grams of protein per lean body mass during a caloric maintenance or surplus phase, and 2 to 3 grams per lean body mass of protein when you're cutting weight. Your carb and fat distribution can vary, but among the three macros, protein should take priority. You can't build a house without the right tools and materials to get the job done. Number three, calories and energy balance should take priority. In the past, if I missed my protein target for the day, I would have tried to overcompensate and eat more protein. However, in addition to consuming that extra protein, I would give myself a pass to eat more fun food. So rather than just focusing on the solution, I would feed into the temptation to overeat and exceed my caloric requirements for that day. One bad macro day will not ruin your life. So give yourself a break and start fresh for the next day. Number four, body weight is just a number, but it's still useful for tracking progress. When I was sitting well above 200 pounds, I always thought that if I hit 160 pounds, I'll probably be at my target body fat percentage. Well, that wasn't the case. And now at 155 pounds, I'm still carrying a decent amount of body fat above 15%. So having a target body weight number is a great goal, but it should be viewed as a checkpoint rather than a final destination. So try to track body weight changes once a day in the morning after you use the restroom and then take those numbers and average them out over a week. Use that average to track progress and through adherence and time, you'll eventually get to where you want to be. Number five, set realistic expectations and then exceed them. It's okay to have big goals and big dreams, but just remember that big goals require bigger timeframes. Don't try to rush the process by feeding into the hype. Practice progressive overload and give yourself time to adapt. You can't expect to be at optimum performance after just one week of cutting calories. It takes years to normalize performance and create steady, dependable habits. Number six, don't let fun foods dominate your diet. Let them complement it. I don't really believe in the concept of bad or fun foods, but I do believe that a surplus of fun foods can make dieting difficult. So rather than cutting out these foods completely from your life, find a way to incorporate them into your diet in a mindful way. For example, I love a good bagel in the morning, but last time I checked, a plain bagel with a buttery spread usually nets around 333 calories and only provides about 10 grams of protein on top of 62 grams of carbs and 4 grams of fat. It isn't the most economical distribution of macronutrients. So rather than tossing the bagel away in defiance, I make sure to incorporate nutritious foods later in the day while still complying to my target calories and macros. Remember, treats are treats. Learn to use them as complements to your dietary nutrition. Number seven, different goals require different levels of accuracy. An athlete that is trying to cut weight in a specific time frame will require more attention to detail compared to an individual that just wants to get their life back on track. The same goes for experienced athletes versus beginners. If you're just starting, try to be reasonable with your expectations. It's okay to make mistakes and learn at your own pace. In contrast, if you're more advanced, then you probably need to be a little more restrictive to hit your goals. You've already developed the discipline 
and now you just need to stay consistent and execute the game plan. Number eight, feeling full, satiety, is not a direct replacement for portion sizing. I could easily eat two blueberry muffins at four ounces each and blast through 900 calories. In contrast, I could consume eight ounces of blackberries and only consume a mere 98 calories. So when you go through meal planning, be mindful of your food choices versus what makes you feel full. I can't emphasize enough how important this skill is to learn, especially when you're cutting weight. Number nine, prioritize your priorities. If you're trying to cut weight, then focus on cutting weight. If you're trying to get stronger, then make sure you have the calories to get stronger. For example, in my Q2 training protocol, I was trying to optimize my sprinting and running while still trying to improve my weightlifting performance. That's a lot to ask, especially during a cut. So it's okay to have secondary goals, but don't beat yourself up if your secondary goals are not progressing as fast as your primary goals. Number 10. Don't make fitness harder than it needs to be. I put in the hours to normalize discipline, fitness, and nutrition. However, I do realize that fitness and nutrition tracking can seem overwhelming for others. So rather than following popular opinion, design a nutrition and fitness plan that works best for you. Life is hard. Don't make life harder than it needs to be. Understand the principles of fitness and nutrition and design a lifestyle that promotes adherence. And really, the bottom line is, I don't think I'm special. (laughs) I don't think I did anything magical. But I did the work at my own pace to get pretty good at fitness and nutrition. And I've learned plenty of lessons along the way. And it all started with one step forward. Just one step, one small change in my behavior to get me started on the road to progress. We're all capable of changing for the better. All it takes is one step forward. Thanks y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast. I look forward to continuing this conversation awareness and amplifying greatness through gratitude. If you're enjoying the Love Notes for Life podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, and other major podcast platforms. Also, the Love Notes for Life lifestyle collection is now available at lovenotesforlife.com. Every purchase supports the Love Notes movement and amplifies the collective voice of doing better to be better for others. I'm super grateful for the support, and you can track the mindset by following me at Mike Kabuko on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks y'all for the support and always remember, there is beauty in knowing that there's only one of you. Take care.